0: This is episode 100 of the Landscape Photography Show, and before we get into today's podcast, I want to feature patron of the podcast, Caleb McKinney. Caleb and I have gotten to know each other very well over Twitter and I'm so glad that he decided to support the podcast on Patreon. If you're interested in doing so, you know, you're going to get access like Caleb has to exclusive audio from every single podcast that comes out. Several in the past and from here on out the same thing. You're going to get access to like 20 to 30 minutes even of bonus material that nobody else gets. You get that with every membership on Patreon, as well as some other incentives as well with each tier. We have budgets that fit everybody, five, 10 and $20 a month. Every single tier comes with that bonus audio and a nice little handwritten thank you and a sticker from me too. So you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up to support the podcast to help it continue going week after week with some of your favorite photographers this week we're talking with photographer david hunter and this podcast has been in the making for months now and i'm not exaggerating when i actually say that david reached out to me on instagram a while back when he got an artist in residency position at capitol reef national park And said, you know, let's, you know, do a podcast. Even if you want to come out and shoot, that would be awesome. Unfortunately, I had to turn down the offer to come out and shoot because, you know, family duties and things like that. But it was amazing to wait on the podcast until after the residency was over and hear the before, the during, and the after reflections of the entire experience from David. You're going to hear all that in this week's show. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, we're here with David Hunter joining us from Central California in the heat of summer. David, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Good, good. We have been talking about this podcast for a long time. I'm really excited to get into it. Talk about your time in Capitol Reef and being their artists in residence. Um, But first to get everybody on the same page, why don't we talk about how you got started in photography and kind of what led you to apply to that artist in residency?
1: Sure. Um, Let me see, I started a long time ago. (laughs) Um, So I actually started photography, I would say, when I was a junior in high school. Uh, My father uh, gave me a camera and I started photographing. I was actually shooting film at the time um, and started enjoying it. And so my senior year of high school, like the first few days I was enrolled in an elective that was like, print shop type stuff. And I want, I really wanted photography and I somehow convinced them to switch me over and I got into the photography class and it was just, I would say it was life-changing just as far as expressing an art. Like I didn't have any hobbies prior to that. Um, and really got into it. And it, I got so into it that by the second, uh, semester of that, my senior year, I was actually, um, ditching other classes to go into the dark room and print and mm-hmm. until my teacher eventually figured out what I was doing. Um, so basically I would just, you know, say, Oh, I've got this project and she wanted to be in there and then, you know, you know, tell that to the teacher I was ditching and then I'd get to the classroom and it's like, Oh no, they didn't have anything for me to do. So I come over. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fun. Um, and then right out of high school, Um, I did a couple summers, uh, just doing some, um, wildland fire, fire firefighting, I guess you could say. And interesting pivotal part about that for me was that after my second summer of doing that, I brought my kind of portfolio of images in every day, um, because I wanted to show them to my boss and he just never had time and he never looked at them that I saw And after the second season, uh, I was up for evaluation to see if I should continue. And he wrote me kind of a poor evaluation saying that it's like, I was great when I was actually on a fire, but, um, like just being around the station and stuff, I needed more focus. And I think it was just the, the, the day to day kind of, um, you know, doldrum stuff that bored me (laughs) and being such a creative mind. And then something that kind of shocked me is he's like, you really need to pursue photography. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I've gone through your stuff and you have a really talent there. And I want you to, you know, you should, this is something you should consider. And that surprised me because I never saw him look at any of my photos that brought in. Um, and so after that, I pursued a career in photojournalism. Um, and I was actually, I didn't go to school for it. I just got into the local paper kind of as assistant and then worked my way up to photographer and then worked for several papers in the area. Um, eventually at my peak, I was working for the Associated Press um, as a Um, freelancer, but I was also working at a small newspaper as their sports photographer, Um, and I was doing what we call triple dipping, where I would um, take a picture for the newspaper of some local, like, let's say, university game, take that same image, sell it to the AP for their wire service, and then turn around and sell it also to the university for their um, use in their media guides. So, I was getting paid three times for the same thing, but it it kept me going. So, um, and then eventually, after working in photojournalism for a few years, I decided, well, you know, I should probably go to school for this. And I looked at a program. I was in uh, Reno, Nevada at the time. And I looked at a program in Fresno, California, that uh, Fresno State had a program for photojournalism. And so I moved down to Fresno and after the first, I'd say, six months, I realized that my path in photography would continue, but I should not be doing the newspaper work because it wasn't going to provide me with the kind of sustainable schedule and um, family life I eventually wanted. So I pulled out of um, the faux journalism degree and just got a liberal studies degree instead um, and wound up going into teaching. So um, in all my bios that I write for uh, parks or different things I'm doing, I say that I'm a nature and landscape photographer or photographer who moonlights during the day as a uh, elementary school teacher.
0: I like that. I like that going back to to the poor review and, and just remembering that experience does it give you more fuel to the fire to succeed at what you're doing right now
1: i think so um i think part of it was just uh being seen uh for my art um obviously i had my photography teacher who would see me for my art but i hadn't had people outside of that had seen me much for the art. So having somebody that I thought wasn't interested at all then recognize that. Um I think it was a big boost and, you know, motivated me to go in the, the right direction. I mean, um prior to that, not during the summers, I was actually working as a lifeguard year around. Um like I was a assistant manager of a pool and it's just i think i would have gone on doing that kind of thing and not pursued my dream as much if i hadn't gotten that feedback so because i had to kind of push the edges a little and and work my way into different spots to eventually build up to where i had the skills and the portfolio to move on to the next
0: phase have you ever thanked him
1: i you know i have not um I only knew him for that one summer, so it was kind of interesting. I need to try and see if I can look him up somehow.
0: Well, the only reason I ask is we have very similar stories in in that sense of, you know, I picked up a camera for the first time my junior year of high school. Uh, My teacher, although I never really thought that he was looking at my work, told me at the end of the year that he thought that I should pursue that. Um, and I didn't for f- a few years. And before I could thank him after getting into it and going back to that, um, he had died. And and it's one of, you know, my biggest regrets. So it's just one mm-hmm. question. I always like to ask people when, you know, they have that somebody who recognizes what they do from a, from an early beginning.
1: Right yeah I was able to several years later connect with my actual photography teacher um, and let her know that I was still doing it and um, it really enjoying it from part of from her influence and so I think um, that felt good to you know connect with her on those things
0: What was her reaction
1: um, It was just through Facebook um, she was excited i was still pursuing it yeah i think she she she's just happy to see that i was continuing to to do what you know what i would found the passion for so
0: let's talk about your artisan residency at, at capitol reef what made you want to do that
1: well actually it's um what's interesting about that is that um that was actually this past summer when I did the residency for Capel Reef, that's my third national park residency. Um, and it actually started uh, a couple years back because um, I'd been working for the last, I'd say 10, 12 years in my local area for a couple conservancies. Um, one is called Sierra Foothill Conservancy and the other is the San Joaquin River Parkway. And uh, for both... Um, organizations, I'd taken photographs on and off for them for several years um, doing small projects or things like that. And one day I was talking with the Sierra Foothill Conservancy, and the directors is like, well, why don't we do an artist-in-residence? And I was like, oh, that's a wonderful idea. It never occurred to me prior to that. And And with that group, I mean, their properties are basically an hour away from my house. So I basically, I had a year's time and I visited all their properties like on weekends and made different photographs that they then used for a big um, like fundraising thing at the end of the year. And based off that work, um, the other uh, conservancy, the San Joaquin River Parkway, uh, saw what I was doing and reached out to me. It's like, can we, can we get you to do the same thing for us? And so the following year, I did that for them. And that's what led me to the park residencies and getting the idea of like, well, if I can do this locally, maybe I could do this in a national park. And so my first residency with the national park was actually Bighorn Canyon National Recreation Area. Uh, which is on the um, northern-central border of Wyoming and Montana. Uh, third of the park is in Wyoming, and two-thirds is in Montana. It's kind of like the Grand Canyon of the north. It's a 66-mile-long canyon that um, runs through both states and um, not very visited because it's kind of off the beaten path, but it's a, a great area to be in. And then, and actually, sorry, jumping back, the the summer or the, the year I applied for that residency, I also applied for a residency at Craters of the Moon National Monument in Idaho. And I got a phone call from Craters of the Moon and they said, well, we had 80 applicants. You came in second and we're wondering, we've never had a photographer in 10 years of our program. We're wondering if you would be willing to just take the residency for next summer, you know, instead of having to apply again. And I was super excited. I was like, of course. So in one in one season, I was able to land two 2 residencies, one for Bitcoin Canyon and then the following summer for... Um, Craves of the moon uh, right away. So that was a, a big boost of confidence to the kind of work I was doing and being, again, being seen and recognized for um, getting the work out there. And then during the pandemic, not much happened, obviously. Um, although I did apply, or not apply, I, I did a what I call a self-residency in Great Basin National Park where I went there for two weeks of my own time, um, just to camp and go out and photograph. And then this past year, I was accepted as the night sky photographer for Capitol Reef National Park. And the difference with Capitol Reef was that um, all the other parks had done two week residencies and with Capitol Reef, I did a month long residency
0: expectations going into it or what
1: uh you mean from the park or from myself
0: let's go park first then you
1: okay so because i've done different residencies now i've kind of gotten used to the systems and expectations most parks will want um you to give a public talk and based on what your time is so if you're there for two weeks you typically give one public talk if you're there for four weeks you give two public talks Um, and then all of them usually want one piece of art that you donate to the park for their use Um, usually in some kind of gallery they have either in their residence or in the public space they have Um, a few of them will ask for, um, you know, some digital images they can use for social media, things like that. So, um, and that was the same with Kepler. Reef. Um, they, I have six months to donate a piece of artwork from the residency time there. I gave two public talks. Uh, one was, or they're both at the end of my residency. So one was in the amphitheater in the campground. And the other was in this like repurposed coffee shop in the in Tory, which is the nearest town to the park. So, and then, other than that, you're just given wide freedom um, to go do whatever you want to do as far as your art. They don't expect you to be a certain place at a certain time. Um, more so than the other parks, I was spending more time in Capilano Reef checking in and letting them know where I was going because it's just a massive park as far as range. Um, and so there was times where I'd go into the backcountry for several days. So I had a communication device to let them know what I was doing, um, or, you know, checking in kind of thing. So
0: in terms of, planning and preparation, Um, did you do anything for preparing your mindset for going out for an extensive period of time in a location, you know, you're away from family, you're in isolation a lot?
1: Yes, um, I actually did a ton of preparing. And part of that reason is that um, Capital Reef has two residencies you can actually apply for. So one is the night sky artist, um, which is either a photographer or a painter. And the other is a general residency. And I've actually been applying to Capillary for the last four years. And in their application process, they only allow you to submit six images. And in the past, what I was doing is I'd like I check off both the night sky and the general residencies in my application. It's like, well, here's three night images and here's three general residency images that, you know, and you can, you know, see if I fit to either of the residencies. And that just wasn't enough because you're competing against uh, artists of all other types, like watercolors and sometimes saddle makers and print makers and painters or sculptors. And so this year I switched up the app and I, I turned in one application for just night sky and one application for general. And I think that was part of the prep preparedness because you are, I targeted, I mean, I was saying my mindset, it's like I'm doing one or the other. And by splitting it, it actually helped me because it was a much smaller pool for the night sky um so i got selected for that and then as soon as i got selected i had one of those not necessarily aha moments but oh boy moments because i don't actually consider myself a night sky photographer <laughs> um it's something i like to dabble in um but i spent six months really studying maps of the park through google earth um watching youtube videos on on different night shooting techniques to kind of um you know bring up my skill level and i did go out and practice several times uh with a star tracker and just things that i wouldn't typically do because if i if i normally go out for a night shoot it's like oh i'm going out for a night or two and um i'll just produce these few images but I was going into this knowing that I'd be shooting, you know, weather permitting every night for a month. And as um, I had to really think about what I wanted to accomplish in doing that. And I would say also part of that research is I, I looked at the last three night sky artists the park had and looked at the work. I mean, I know, um, you know, with Cole Thompson's, you know, idea of that photographic celibacy, um, I, that that doesn't really work for me, because I need to see what other people have done, so I get an idea of what has been done. And it's never in the sense to copy anybody, but I want to know what, what's been done, where it's been done, and then it, it gives me ideas of what I can do differently, because I don't always see my photography as um, replicate. I mean, I don't replicate anyone per se. I, I just like to have an idea of what I'm coming into and then adapt my ideas once I'm there. So the previous artists for the park had shot primarily Milky Way um, and star trails. And so I focused a lot on uh, moon photography or moonlit photography because the park didn't really have any of that or it wasn't represented in the previous artist portfolios Um, that got confirmed for me once i started showing a few images to the park they're like oh this is wonderful because we don't have anything like this and um so i i use that to my advantage and I think it 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 really helped me studying all those maps for six months on google earth because when when um i got there and i started realizing it's like oh the moon is setting i didn't have to study hard to figure out where to go to photograph the moon setting over a specific geographic feature of the park i knew where to go because i i knew the map of the park and i knew All I need to know is where the moon was going to be, and then I could line it up with some geological feature that that also featured the park in that image.
0: From preparation to actually having boots on the ground and, and doing the work that you had prepared yourself for, what was it like actually implementing the plans that you are putting in. I mean, you just talked about the moon photography, but, but also actually seeing the places that you said you had scouted out and researched on Google Earth.
1: So, so the funny thing about that is that um, I think this happens to all of us in the sense that you get this, before you have your boots on the ground, you, you get this wonderlust. Of like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and then you get the boots on the ground and you're like, oh, that's a five mile hike with sixty pound pack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's um, it's going to be hard. I had one part of the of the journey while I was there where um, I backpacked into the far southern part of the park with two friends, and um, it was twelve miles in in like 90 degree heat uh, with you know in that case it was 70 pounds because we we're overnighting several nights and and what the part i didn't plan for was the fact that i was just too exhausted at the end of the day to try and do the night photography after hiking all day and having limited water um, you had to pack in your water until we got there and then we had to filter but it was just long and exhausting so some, I would definitely say that of all my planning, there were certain ideas that I had kind of wonder lusted about that didn't quite pan out when I got there um, because either the weather didn't cooperate or I was a little exhausted or it was going to be a seven to eight mile hike. And it just, is a little tougher than I thought. Or, or looking at the map, you know, the Google Earth online, it's like, oh, this will be easy to get to. And then you get your boots on the ground. And it's like, it's it's a little bit more risk than um, I was willing to take as far as scrambling or trying to get to a certain location. So, um, so there was that. But on the flip side of that, I think there was a lot of planning that really helped me. Um, part of that too is like, you got to think about like I didn't want to spend my time cooking a bunch of meals or going grocery shopping, and so my wife helped me out, and we actually made a bunch of like pre-made frozen uh, soups and um, prepackaged um meals that were quick to make that I would just throw on the, throw on the stove um, and didn't take a lot of time. So they're pre-assembled, I guess I should say. And so that helped me out. So I actually never went to the grocery store proper the entire month I was there. Um, There was a small little grocery store about 10 miles away that I could get a few basic staples. Um, But the main grocery store was a 40-minute drive because the park's a little isolated. And so I never had to go there because I had all my meals prepped. And then the other thing I really planned for was that there was locations in the park that I knew would be a little bit more difficult to access. Um, I have a Subaru Outback, and it it does a good job, but sometimes the roads can be a little rough. And so there was a few people that I recruited to join me uh, during the trip um, who had better vehicles or... Um, or sometimes I recruited them just for the company, so I wasn't hiking alone you know, for 12 miles. And so that allowed um, me to you know, get to areas or you know, be a little bit safer. And that was all pre-planned as far as um, knowing what the goal was and then having people with me to help accomplish that goal.
0: Did you feel pressure to, to accomplish the plan that you had initiated?
1: a little bit. Um, I mean, as I'm looking at the images now, I've, I'd say I got about 85% of my images processed and I'm looking over them. And it's interesting because I didn't actually shoot all that, that much Milky way. And part of me feels like, well, did I, did I fail because I didn't shoot that? Um, but then i'm like you know what but what i did do is shoot a bunch of night images the park hasn't had before and i saw it with a different vision and so i've been kind of settling into that as far as feeling like you know this it's okay to to have you know certain goals and you want to do certain things but sometimes your your the path takes you a slightly different way so
0: do you always have that open-handed adjustment mindset when you go to photograph or is that something that you specifically worked on while you were in Capitol reef?
1: Um, I, I think I, for the most part, I always have that open thing because I think the greatest part about my photography in general is, is my ability to adapt and And I think that's all actually from my photojournalism training. Um, I think it plays two roles. The first role is that as a photojournalist, you're constantly thrown into situations where you just you may not know what's happening. Or um, uh, let me give an example. So the example would be that one of my I, i. One of the days I remember the most in journalism, when I was working as a photojournalist for a newspaper was one day in the morning, I was sent to the state capitol, Carson City, Nevada, to photograph the swearing-in ceremony of the new governor who had just been elected. Later that afternoon, there was a sniper incident on Interstate 80 outside of Reno and I was photographing like some of the cars that had been hit or shot through the windshield and the manhunt that was going on, searching for this guy. And then that evening, there was a basketball game between the two uh, rival high schools, and it was for the title of the city. And so you look at all those situations, and it's like there's a lot of ad- adaptation for each of those things that you have to do. And I had to do all three of those things in one day, photographically. And so I think the skills of photojournalism that um, taught me to adapt and jump into situations like that has really carried over to my landscape photography. And then the second side of that is, I think part of the reason I pursue these uh, residencies is because I enjoy going out and making single images. Um, but what I enjoy more is going out and telling a longer story. And so when you get to immerse yourself in a park for a month and just tell, you know, look at all the ways you can tell the story or, um, find different ways to tell the story of a park that that's what really excites me in photography is finding those stories to tell that aren't always just limited to I visited for a day or two and I got this amazing sunrise picture, but you know, the collection of pictures over time that tells, tells a bigger story.
0: Why do you think that is? Which part? Collecting more images over longer stretches of days to tell deeper stories i
1: think i mean i think it's the same thing that's um that works with when i started with those first residencies for my local conservancies i mean i've been telling the story of those places for a couple years um just at a very much slower place so part of it is when you have the opportunity to i mean unlike when you're on vacation you hit the location and you may never come back. Right. Mm -hmm. In this, in this thing, it's like you're living in the park and you have the opportunity to go back over and over again and see that location in different, I mean, I guess within a limited period of time, because I'm there for, you know, just a couple of weeks or a month um, during the summer, not during seasonal stuff, but um, you have opportunities to go back and it's like, Oh, i see that um and actually i you know jumping back to your planning question was like i i organized my trip a lot in capital reef about sections of the park i divide the park into sections it's like okay i'm going to cover this area this week and then i'm going to hit the south end of the park and then i'm going to finish up with the north end of the park Now I still was able to adapt because if weather conditions changed or something happened, I, you know, hit a different area. Um, but I think being able to immerse yourself in a location, um, really helps, I guess, in some ways, take the burden off, um, know trying to get the one great image like you have time to try and figure out you know you know when is the optimum time to be at this location to tell the story i want to tell
0: what was it like for you i mean a a month away from family is is obviously difficult what what was it like for you experiencing that
1: um i think that's hard um i tend to get lonely Um, something i noticed that this time that i haven't done in my previous residencies was the accommodations i got from the park were just the nicest i've ever had in a park i had a four-bedroom house to myself um and i asked typically the parks Or they don't want you to bring your family because they don't want you distracted or, you know, caretaking your family while while you're out trying to do the art. And in this case, um, the park didn't say I couldn't bring the family, um, but it didn't seem like it was going to be the best solution because um, I would be working primarily at night and sleeping during the day. Um, And, you know, that would be too hard to expect the family to follow that kind of schedule. Um, But what I did do was that um, because I'm a teacher, I had spring break off. My family and I traveled to the park during spring break and spent a week camping in the campground and basically scouting. So I got boots on the ground early, um, even though I'd been to the park prior. But there were certain locations I wanted to check out. And so that allowed my family, particularly my wife, to experience um, experience what I would be seeing and have a, a greater sense of the park um, through my experience and, and being that. Um, now, I know your daughter is young. Mm. Uh, my kids, my, my son is 10 and my daughter is 14, so um, I think why they do miss me Um, I don't think they're, uh, they, they miss me as much on these, uh, on these trips. Um,
0: you got to give yourself more credit (laughs) than that though.
1: Oh yeah. It was funny actually, because my son right before I left was like, oh, I'm so excited that you're leaving because then you don't, um, you know, yell at me for kicking my soccer ball in the house. (laughs) <laughs> and and I told him I was like, you know, actually, I'm excited. I'm leaving because then I don't have to yell at you for kicking your soccer ball in the house. Like <laughs> I I I get a month off from parenting. So, but but uh, yeah, I, I made sure I stayed in regular contact with my family. I talked to my wife every couple of days, and then um, something I something new I tried this year as opposed to previous residencies. And that's partly because the park itself has no cell phone service in, in the park, but within the house that I was staying, I had Wi Fi, And so I sent my kids daily dad jokes, um, either by text or email.
0: Um, what's so, your go-to dad joke then?
1: So my go-to dad joke, let's see. Um, Trying to think here. Oh, uh, how does how does Harry Potter get down a hill? And the answer is walking. J.K. Rowling.
0: Mm, that is a dad joke. It is. What uh, did that like? You said loneliness. Uh, we talked about pressure a little bit, and you mentioned your adaptability, but. The pressure paired with loneliness. Uh, how how did that impact your creativity? I did. I didn't actually notice it all that much this
1: time because I think I, because of my previous experiences, I was able to structure it better. Um, like in my experiences at Bighorn Canyon and uh, Craters of the Moon, um, I think I had greater periods of isolation and. I would, to to some degree, it's 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 hard because I, it's going to sound weird to people who haven't experienced this, but you know when you go into the the residency in a, in any of these situations, it's like you're taking on a brand new job, and you're so eager to get started. You get going, and then you know, after a week or so, you're, you're hitting the sunrises and sunsets in the typical residency. And in this case, I was hitting the night stuff. But it's like, there's a point when you kind of become, you know, kind of physically exhausted, not just from the exertion, but from the mental exertion, exertion you're putting out to try and, you know, I, I wouldn't say necessarily prove yourself, but to um you know immerse yourself into the work and so i think and then not having people around i mean you have the park staff and so on but they're obviously busy so this time i changed it because the some parks want a theme when you apply and so the Kepler Reef asked me for a couple themes, so I gave them two themes. One was called Parallels, and that was finding relationships between the land and the sky. And part of my goal there was not to just get a bunch of images where it was two thirds Milky Way and one third foreground. Kind of reversing that of where it was more foreground, um, you know, park features and then one third sky. And I I did that for the most part. But my other theme was to try and um get people interacting with the night sky. Now that you know now that I'm done, it's like hindsight, I didn't do very good at that. But the interesting part about it was that the first people I thought of when I was when I thought about like, well, how am I gonna get people interacting with the night sky was other night sky photographers. So I actually invited several people to join me, uh, not only, you know, to, just shoot, but to, you know, to try and be a part of this um, community of like, oh, I want to photograph them photographing the night sky. Um, and I think that, that actually helped my, my, you know, mental state as far as creativity and, you know, not getting as lonely because um, every few days I had a different person kind of coming in to do a different part of the park. And then, and not, not all of them were photographers either. Um, But um, some of them were just people that were really good at hiking or canyoneering or so I, I helped use their knowledge to explore certain sections of the park. Um, but what, are some of your other,
0: what are your, some of your other reflections as you look back at the images that you created while you were there
1: let's see Um I've been toying with that the last week or so Um because I've been trying to think of like did I do enough uh, of a certain kind of photography did I do enough Milky Way photography or things like that. But I'm kind of settling on the fact that it's like, you know what, I got some very unique images that didn't ne- aren't necessarily the standard in night photography. Like I photographed the International Space Station and um, I photographed um, landscapes lit by moonlight, which you just don't see nowadays and that, that was actually an issue we talked about in a second that popped up um, was the whole light painting issue um, and so I, I've kind of come to the, the realization it's like you know what I I went with a goal um, to do something different and I, I achieved that goal and it's also dawned on me that I think unconsciously I may have avoided some of those other kind of images. Um, and when I say that, I like I may have avoided shooting Milky Way more because I'm still learning how to process Milky Way better, um, particularly in using the layer masks and things like that. Like that's one of my skill sets that I'm not very strong at. And I think that's because um, My photojournalism background, I tend to not process that much because I was always taught that was bad. (laughs) In photojournalism, you're not supposed to be cloning stuff or changing things majorly. Um, so it's taken me several years to kind of settle into the fact that like, this is art and this is my art and I can change it the way I want to. Um, I just need to, um, learn the skills to accomplish what I want. So the images that I still have left are a few Milky Way images where I'm trying to, I shot the foreground at a different exposure than the sky. And now I'm trying to learn how to blend them together. Like I've got the, I've got all the raw materials ready to go together. I'm just learning the skills done, how to do that. Um, so it looks good and natural. Like I don't want it to look, uh, overly processed or crunchy or all the other things so i guess there's still pressure there on myself of trying to make it look good and natural but i'm trying to find my skill set to help make that happen
0: what was the light painting issue
1: so um as you know in, in night photography there's lots of photographers who use light painting to enhance their images and the most current techniques are that low level lighting. Um, and I, I like that stuff. I've done a lot of it. Um, but there's several parks, particularly in Utah that have banned that practice because, um, reef and then uh, several other parks in Utah are, um, international dark sky parks. So um, they've changed the lighting in the restrooms and the visitor center and other places to have as minimal impact on the night sky um, as possible. And and really, the area around uh, Capel Reef and also Grand Escalante or Grand Staircase, yeah, I see, Grand Staircase in Escalante is um, some of the darkest areas in in the country. And so going into the application process um i had heard from the previous artisan residents that the park frowned upon any kind of light painting they don't they didn't want it now um up until that point they the capital reef did not have a stated policy of no light painting in the park uh, where um, Arches National Park and Canyon lands in Utah have both um, have written policies now that you are not allowed to use light painting of any kind other than for navigation. So basically if you're driving or if you're walking on a trail, you can use your headlamp um, but other than that they don't want any external lights um, And so, as I was looking into the application process, I selected a group of images and a few of them had light painting in them. And then I talked to the artist from the previous year, and he's like, no, they really frown upon it. So the last, like literally the day before I turned in the application to Kepler Reef, I switched out some images that had light painting with more natural uh, light images like um, a sequence of the moon going across the sky or things like that. Um, and that turned out to be the best decision because that's what got me selected. I guess there was two photographers that really stood out for the night sky application and the other photographer had uh, more light painted images. So they chose me over, over that person. Um, and so going into the residency, I knew that they did not want any light painting, but there's a lot of photographers, night photographers out there that I know that um, do a lot of light painting in Capitol Reef. And so I let everyone that was coming to join me know that if they wanted to um, light paint, they would need to you know, hold off while they're with me because I was representing the park And um, we just need to do things a slightly different way. Now, once I got to the park, I realized that um, they had just finalized their policy and put it out there. But interestingly enough, um, nobody was really aware of that because it wasn't, why it was in the public domain, it was kind of hidden way down um, in these public documents that was buried on their website. So I talked to them about it and it's like, look, I think people would be willing to follow this um, if they knew, but everyone I know doesn't know that you have this policy. And so uh, they made it a little bit, um, I I think they're taking steps to make it more public. And then uh, some of the night photographers I know now are now aware that as of, I think it was May 25th. The park does not allow any kind of light painting to go on um, in the park. So, um, so that's a you know that's just another challenge, right? When you're trying to do the night photography and you've got to figure out how to do your stuff without using the artificial lighting that you've been using in the past. So,
0: would you do the residency again? Definitely. Why? Um,
1: I think, I think there's always a sense that there's, there's just so much more you can accomplish. I mean, I had a few, I'd say there was probably a week's worth of time um, or a week's worth of nighttime where I had storms come in. I mean, ideally, I, I am mean, glad I'm not there now. There's a new artist that has just started there uh, a couple of days ago. And she's getting the monsoonal weather coming in, which for her art, I think is fine, because she's a printmaker. Um, So I'm glad I'm not there now, because as a night sky photographer, the monsoonal stuff would be difficult to shoot around. Um, And the other difficult part about that particular park is that there's two kinds of trails at that park. One is through the canyons and like kind of slot canyons and washes. And the other is like high up on the rocks, um, like looking at overlook type stuff. And both of those locations are very difficult to go to if you've got monsoonal weather for either lightning risk or flooding or um, being in this, you don't wanna be anywhere near the slot canyons or the washes when when there's flash floods. Um, So, but just the opportunity to go back and Uh, do more work, um, try and, like I said before, get in deeper to the story that could be told. Um, When I went to that residency in Bighorn Canyon, uh, when I drove back after two weeks, I stopped at Craters of the Moon, um, which was gonna be the following summer. And I stopped there just to get, you know, kind of scope it out and spend the night. And craters of the moon is a very different landscape. It's all uh, lava fields, old lava fields, and so you first look at it, and all you see is black rock everywhere. And when I first thought it or saw it, I had an option that they told me that I could stay for two weeks or I could stay for a month. And my initial reaction was like, "I'll do the two weeks because I don't know if there's a month's worth of material here." Because, I mean, how many ways can you photograph black rocks or lava rocks? Um, but after spending two weeks, I felt like it wasn't enough time. Uh, which, you know, sounds weird because it's like you're you're away from your family and on like that. It's like you're feeling like you have to go back and do more. But, you know, it just means more opportunity later on.
0: Where can people go to find more out about you?
1: So you can um, you can find me at uh, davidhunterphoto.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at photohunter, and that's H-N-T-R for the Hunter part. Um, and if you're so inclined, I do have a, a parody Instagram account that I post to occasionally um, called Hunter David which is my um, parody Instagram model that I do for creative (laughs) expression.
0: I'm going to have to go follow this. I have not seen this before.
1: Oh, you have not? No. Uh, Well, you're going to have to because I actually got inspired by Sarah Lindsay. And it's kind of a funny story because I was listening to an interview with her. I think it may have been on your podcast. Uh, I'm trying to remember if it was her or, or, I mean, if it was you or Matt Payne's. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was talking about her selfie work. And and she was asked about what her male equivalent would be. And she mentioned Josh Cripps. Mm-hmm. And And immediately when I thought of Josh Cripps, I thought, well, what would be and this was during the height of the pandemic when, you know, we were all kind of staying at home. And I was, I, would, I wouldn't say it was creative funk, but it's like, you're anxious to go out shooting, but I didn't know, I couldn't go anywhere. And um, when I thought about Josh Cripps, it's like, well, what would be the opposite of Josh Cripps? And it's like, oh, I know the opposite of Josh Cripps would be a guy in his, you know, mid 40s with a wife beater shirt and really cool sunglasses posing in these beautiful locations like the Instagram models do, but for the opposite reason. And so that started my creative side of doing these selfies. And I I titled my model Hunter David. um, And it was just kind of as a parody to the typical know instagram shots you see of the beautiful model uh, posing in the great location so
0: well that's fantastic i will immediately go and check that out but he's david hunter david thank you so much for joining us and talking about your photography and and your experience in capital reef
1: yeah thank you so much for having me on
0: so the podcast episode just ended here but it doesn't mean that the podcast is over you know over on patreon you're gonna find bonus exclusive material from david and i's conversation where we talk about how you can take the same approach or if it's even possible to take the same approach from what he did in Capitol Reef and some of his other artists in residency positions to some more famous locations like Yosemite National Park and what kind of intimidates David about taking that approach to some of those locations. We're also gonna talk about his experience with his favorite photographers in the field and how they inspire him. Again, if you want that, that's exclusive audio for patrons for the podcast specifically. So you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston, sign up for a tier that fits your budget and start listening to that exclusive content as well as past content from other photographers and everything coming out in the future. Thank you guys so much. Really enjoyed this week's episode. Can't wait to see you next week.